بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگز اف اللہ بی اپون یو ویلکم ٹو انادر ایڈیشن انادر ایپیسوڈ آن دی بریکفسٹ شو ہے آن دا وائس آف اسلام ریڈیو ٹوڈے از وینزڈے دی 15th آف فیبروری 2023 ود مائی سیلف شرجیل احمد اینڈ اے پلیجر ٹو ہیو ود می ایز ویل نور الدین جہانگیر السلام علیکم ہاؤ یو ڈوئنگ دس دس مارننگ وعلیکم السلام ورحمۃ اللہ پیس بی اپون یو اینڈ تھینک یو فار ہیونگ می آن دا شو ونس اگین تھینک یو فار 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 جوائننگ اس ایز ویل ایز اے پلیجر ایز اے پلیجر ٹو ہیو یو آن ٹوڈے وی کین بی ٹاکنگ اباؤٹ سم some absolutely amazing topics some very interesting topics as well um uh firstly just you know a, a bit of a light a bit of a light topic that we're going to be speaking about is uh, is breakfast and i'm sure that you must have if you're you know if you if you if you're a regular listener to the breakfast shows or you must have uh, listened to a little bit uh, a similar topic about this uh, last week as well but uh, you know it's uh, it's always a it's always a good thing to actually um you know continue these uh, these good topics as well and talk about them as well from a new from a new aspect from a new perspective as well and of course we've uh, we've got some guests as well that we will be speaking to as well um so that's what we're going to be talking about in the first sort of uh, in the first segment of the show breakfast should it be hot or should it be cold um what are the benefits of uh, of each of them uh, as well and what do you which one do you prefer um towards the latter part of the show we're going to be talking about maintaining good agriculture for our generation and of course the the next generation as well so that's going to be quite uh, quite interesting as well something which is proactive something that we can actually do to not not just you know not just uh, make i would say make amends actually because of the because of the climate because of the um, the way that our structure uh, or the way that you know global warming or 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 climate change whatever you want to call it um you know it's it's something which is uh, which is proactive as i just mentioned and something to actually give back to the world as well to the earth and how can we actually make our make the agriculture uh, better for not just ourselves but of course for the next generation as well so these are the two main topics that we're going to be that we're going to be speaking about that we're going to be talking about so if you have uh, uh, any Uh, and you know any of your uh, of your feedback or anything that you want to contribute to the show the number to call in as always is 0208687 you can also tweet us at uh, voice of islam uk or leave us any comments on our instagram page which is also voice of islam uk we would love to hear uh, you know your thoughts and uh, your opinions on these uh, you know on these two topics as well as we usually do if you're familiar with the you know with the setup of the breakfast show as well um firstly we talk about what's happening in the news um you know what's uh, you know what's happening here in the UK and of course around the world as well um and before we actually do that as well we talk about we talk about the weather and the weather has actually been quite quite interesting it has literally it's fluctu- fluctuated up and down the temperature um has gone up and down it's uh, it's almost as if you know it's is it's a wave sometimes it's sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's really cold sometimes it gets freezing literally freezing and then you know if you look at last week last week in the morning it was it was freezing today the you know the temperatures are 4 5 6 degrees some pla- some places as well and it will go up to you know 10 to 11 degrees uh, as well towards the latter part of the day um it hasn't rained for quite a while so but it, the forecast does say that it's going to rain maybe tomorrow and uh, on the weekend as well but if you look at the temperatures for you know for this week um you know for the remainder part of the week and of course the beginning of next week 
um, the temperatures are slightly going going up as well. Um, but there is this uh, you know this notice um, from the you know from the people who actually uh, look at the forecast and, and and predict the weather as well that there might still be a beast from the east as we had like a couple of years ago as well. And I believe it was 2018 or maybe it was around about that time. Uh, but uh, you know that might that might happen that might happen uh, again. Um, and you know, it, the, and it is this up and down in the weather, in the temperature, that gets uh, that gets everyone uh, that gets everyone sick, that gets everyone unwell. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think all the parents out there can relate. Doing yeah. the school rounds in the morning, like it really affects like how how you're gonna you know get your kids to school. Mm. You think, at, at the moment, it's like the half term holiday, so I think we're all happy. Uh, in very sense, happy, but, very happy. But like, really, you're you're looking outside the window. Sometimes it looks really sunny, and then you walk outside, and it's like really and cold. It's really, <laughs> it really can be cold. really deceiving. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, so and the kids are like, you know, you're thinking about should I wrap them up or not? Mm, um, mm. So sometimes, you know, with England, you never really never you know, know you how never what know. it's going to be like. It you could be really know. really sunny and really cold at the same time. Could be really, it could seem really gloomy, but at the same time, it's uh, fairly fairly decent. It's fairly decent walks, as well. Yeah. I mean, if you just look outside uh, the window right now. Uh, from the studio, it, it's still you know it, the sun. The sun is out. Uh, I mean, it, it is coming out. Uh, sun is rising, and it looks like as if it's, if it's going to be a nice day. You can't even see any clouds outside, but it is a little bit foggy as well. But but the temperature is still okay, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a decent. It, it's a decent yeah. temperature as well. It's not it's not too cold. As I mentioned last week, um, you know, just last week it was it was quite cold. It was really freezing when I had to when I came for uh, for the breakfast show last week. It took me quite a while to actually warm the car up because the, oh, it was frozen. It. <laughs> it was frozen, isn't it? The windscreen. Um, but then, but today it was alright. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't frozen like that. So you know, th- there's always these little hacks as well how to how to defrost the ice and all of that <laughs> yeah. stuff. People just chucking water on them. People chucking water. <laughs> yeah, literally. And uh, you know, it's, it is it is quite uh, it is quite interesting as well. Um, something which has uh, you know which is uh, in the news as well. Quite, um, I mean, you know. We talk about this uh, quite a lot as well, and that's the inflation rates. Inflation has actually, I mean, this is news that has, that has just come in. Inflation has uh, eased slightly to 10.1% from 10, uh, from 10.5% uh, the previous month as well. And this is, for, this is what Sky News has is actually reporting as well. It's saying that it eased in January from December in the latest sign that the UK might have seen the worst of inflation uh, after a 41-year high of 11.1%, which was recorded in October as well, and the reduction is uh, bigger than the, the what econ- economists has actually pre- predicted, but is in line with a forecast by the Bank of England's Money Policy Committee earlier this month as well. Um, flu- food uh, inflation actually hit 16.8% in in December, and energy bills. You know, industrial food production is dependent on energy. And so, uh, of course, you know, vulnerable to price rises as well. And we see that, you know, gas prices or, you know, petrol and diesel pr- prices, we know, in America. But um, they did they did go up as well. But now, slightly, they have a little bit uh, decreased as well. I think petrol, I think I saw, was uh, 159, uh, 158 in some places as well. And uh, diesel, um, I saw, one you know, 170. Uh, 178, 179, something like that. A bit less than that. It's starting to go down, I feel. Starting to go down. Starting to go a little bit down as well. In terms of the food prices and everything, I think still Mm. it's a big struggle for households, especially with the bills still being very high. 
Um, it's been a tough, tough winter, hasn't it? It's been a, a tough lot of winter. families have been um, having to choose whether to heat or to eat, and that's something which is, you know, in third world countries, something which is difficult to hmm. uh, to even uh, ponder over, right? To think that yeah. you know, I'll have to, which one should I choose? Should I should I have a warm food or like? Well, I keep the heating on in the house, so That's I mean, really. it's it's not been an easy time at all. Um, but just to put it into context, yeah. um, we are these are third world uh, issues in, yeah. in the sense that if we're looking at what's going on in in the rest of the world, there's still a war waging in Ukraine, mm. and uh, recently, as we all know, with the earthquake that's hit in yeah. um, in Syria and in Turkey, the choices that they're having to go through mm. are literally life and death, um, and trying to find. The living, if anything, um, I think I think you know, like uh, I think the number had surpassed thirty-five thousand now, and mm. the forecast said that it could even double. Wow! Um, so that's the it's, it's, it's just yeah. tragic. It's tragic, and just it seeing is. there's so many clips on social media of, of families just you know going through the rubble, trying to find their their mm. relatives, their children, their wives, and the the parents. All that, and that's just that's really sad to see. And you, sometimes you see like. Just newborn babies being dragged mm. out after like three, yeah. four days. Yeah. But right Literally. now, it's 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 tough because I think the UN is also saying that the whole rescue operation now is, is pretty much coming to a close because it's only so long that humans can live under the rubble before mm. you know they run out of oxygen or they run out oh. of uh, the energy to to survive. So now I think it's more about turning their attention towards you know actual survivors now and how they're mm. going to take care of those in the shelters. And uh, you know that that comes with a lot of trouble as well, a lot of um, costs with the healthcare, with the food, with the you know just the general welfare that they need. There's also been like uh, I was hearing like um, there's been like people trying to fight over these kind of things as well because you know mm, they're all in a yeah. dire situation, right? And so it must be very difficult in the first place for the for the workers who are there to actually take care of them. But once there's fights breaking out, once there's people like fighting over all the all the supplies and stuff, then mm. that, that must really um, make it even you know the double trouble you can yeah, say that's, yeah you and can you, even like like in Turkey it's it's not been as in terms of the the deaths obviously it's a lot higher hmm. but in Syria I heard that there was um, I read that the the aid wasn't really reaching the into the same extent that it was in Turkey in Turkey right and so that's why there's a lot of Syrians who are really angry and uh, hmm. and you know there's a lack of aid in the country and people will blame like the you know the regime there. But at yeah. the same time, it's a, it's a humanitarian effort. We should be trying to save life. Life. We should not be distinguishing between who is, you know, who's from which what, nation. What, exactly. Yeah, literally, yeah. literally. There should be just there should be just that passion, that compassion for for humanity, and that's something which in Islam as well we can understand. Like because you know, as the Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said in his farewell farewell sermon that hmm. you know an Arab has no superiority over a non-Arab nor the other way around nor a black person over a white person nor, the, nor vice versa so for us in, the, in, in our eyes in the eyes of God you can say we're all, the, we're all his children and we're all uh, the same in that sense we're all equal and so we should, mm. we should not distinguish as to who, should, uh, who deserves better treatment than the other when everyone is suffering it is our job is, is our, as, uh, as believers it's our job to take care of all who are suffering around us right? Of course, and you know when you're talking about all this uh, charity work, which is uh, which is happening, this humanitarian work, which is happening as well, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which is you know the community that we belong to, uh, we have this uh, charitable organization as well in the community as well, which is called Humanity First, and they have this uh, this uh, um, you know aid which they actually give to these people who are suffering from these different crises as well, whether it's the natural disasters or any other things as well, which is such as the pandemic or whatever, what have you. But uh, they have, you know, because it's an international 
sort of charity which is run by the community they are actually you know going out there in these places whether it's turkey whether it's syria and helping those people in need as well and providing them aid providing them that assistance that they that they need as well it's like you mentioned it's that it is that humanitarian um effort that we need to make i mean regardless of you know where where they're from whether they're from europe or if they're from africa or if they're from the middle east or wherever they they're from um we we should try our best to 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 help them for you know the best of our the best of our ability as well and it's of course it's it's the nations it's it's an international it's an international thing that you know nations need to actually come together and think about this as well if the un are saying that uh, we will we will help them then they then they you know sort of should help them um you know not just say we're going to help these people but, but we're not going to help a certain uh, group of people as well so i can understand if you know if they're not getting the aid that they that they sort of are, are supposed to or if they you know if they if the neighbors are getting the same or uh, uh, sort of a different treatment or if they're getting more treatment than them then i can understand their frustration as well but you know that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the case yeah well in saying that there we it has been documented that hmm. the the response to the earthquake the humanitarian response from people all over the world has been one of the greatest um hmm. uh, to date um it has been a really really tough um yeah. earthquake to actually deal with as well isn't it it's quite high on the Richter scale as well yeah but yeah it's good to also see like the world coming together hmm. and trying to help our fellow brothers and sisters who are suffering around the world mm. just like they did when you know when the war broke out in Ukraine as well people coming together trying to help the refugees and trying to help the people of Ukraine um there is this is something which um as you know the world's become like a little global village now yeah. right yeah. so um we we're not just hearing about what's going on in other parts of the world we're now seeing it in front of our eyes at the click mm. of a just on our feet, on our, yeah. our, our phones our fingertips it's all there yeah. and um so i think that's also helped Uh, in terms of like awareness raising awareness about what is actually going on on the ground not just hearing headlines just and hearing thinking headlines, what's, yeah. you know these are just numbers they actually you can see you can see the, these different the, things the devastation that's being caused over there you can see the distraught in the faces of the families of the parents of mm. the of the children who have been uh, orphaned and it's 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 something that it's it's very difficult to take actually and i think to to a certain extent it should only it should push you to to the you can you know to the state where to the stage where you want to help them and you send your support in terms of supplies in terms of your prayers for them as well hmm. let's not forget that side of it of course but at the same time we shouldn't it shouldn't push you to extent where um you become distraught and you know unable to do to go ahead with your day as well so it's 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 a balance i think something which we should um it always bear that. in yeah, mind it is that. It is support that as much as you can but also don't let it um disturb your how can you say your state of mind either of course but you know it is quite difficult as well because you know just like you mentioned we can literally view something or look at something from the other part of the world something that we we might not even go there physically but we can see what's happening over there as well and sometimes we see that there's a lot of things going on whether it's uh, tensions in you know in in the in the north of Europe whether it's you know the the, the Ukraine Russian war whether it's the earthquake or so in Syria in Turkey whether it's you know the 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 eastern sea or the southern sea so southern china sea as well these tensions you know which are always going going on uh, over there as well against ta- taiwan hong kong uh, china and all of these things as well these the countries over there if you look at america there's always you know tensions going on over there as well um it's 
it, sometimes it's as if you know, there's so much going on and how much you can, you can actually take in as well. And uh, of course, of course, you know, wherever you look, there's going to be something happening anyway because, and you know, you you know more of it because of the social media as well. And just, but it's good that you mentioned that as well. That it's it's important that we look at these different things and we try to help as much as we can. But obviously, you know, go along with your own daily life as well, make your own life uh, better as well, and try to prevent if there's something which has happened in a, in a different place. How can you pre- prevent that from happening in your own place? Um, in your own sort of residence or in your own locality or your own neighborhood as well. Yeah, I think it boils down to like, you know, this injustice going on around the world. It all starts from the home. So mm. we can, the one thing that we can do, maybe you think like, if I'm one person, I can't really help what's going on in, in that other part of the world. Mm. As I said, it starts from your own home. So we can all start with our own family members and most importantly, our own selves. We can, we can t- look to reform ourselves even greater and, you know, to make sure that no injustices are being committed on our own part yeah. and to help those around us who are committing injustice and to help them to realize the you know the, the wrong that they're committing as well and the the more the more and more you do this within the people in your own sphere and if everyone yeah. is thinking about it that way yeah. then the more we will be able to establish um, peace and justice on on every level of society starting from the you know the basic unit at home all the way up to an international scale That's you true. did mention earlier about the um you know the whole Russian, um, you know the the war Russian going on Ukraine in Ukraine. Yeah. I think the latest as well today. I was reading that, um, you know, even the parliament in Russia, they're now they're coming together to discuss, you know, the annexed areas of Ukraine and how they're going to integrate that within hmm. within the the Russian uh, nation. And um, you know that's something which has been condemned internationally um, because obviously the Ukrainians. They believe it's yeah. their land. The yeah. Russians are claiming it belongs they, they to belongs, them now. Yeah. So that was the whole are, uh, fight, fight anyway, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. The In the end, conflict. it's all boiling up, and you can see on the on the UN side as well. The UN nations mm. are also like um, building up their you know their their supplies and their and the armies and stuff, readying themselves for any kind of assault on any UN nation, mm. and and they're ready to. To, to attack, so he's always said which, that he's ready, he's been ready, isn't it? Yeah, yeah he's been saying that. But at the yeah. same time, uh, we should. It, it's worrying in the sense that it seems to be escalating even further, mm. and it's not something which is um, calming down. We thought maybe perhaps with the intervention of you know the especially at like the UK and and Germany and all the, you know providing them tanks and everything, maybe yeah. it will turn the tide and and the Ukrainians will get their um, you know their, their resurgence back once again. Yeah. But at the moment, it doesn't seem to be. Um, going in the right direction that, still, that right? Yeah. And that's something like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's on the surface level, something that we can just read and maybe like not really be um, affected by that much because it's not really happening in our back garden. Yeah. Uh, this, but at the same time, it can have great um, implications and dangerous ones. The moment mm. we start fighting physically, yeah. um, then we have to worry about also the, the threat of uh, nuclear warfare. Which is something Putin that's, has um, that's true. has 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 warned about. He said, if you if you if you get participate in this, cooperate in any way, then be 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 careful because within seconds, hmm. you can your your little island of the, the UK can be can be destroyed. I mean, there was whole there was this whole um, uh, balloon as well, wasn't it? The oh, balloon yeah, yeah, that, fiasco. Yeah, uh, about you know the, about the, the spy the spy. I was balloon, in, in, was America, in, in, Canada, in America, in America, in America, and Canada yeah. as well. But uh, you know, it's it's interesting, isn't it? How how it can you know they can just they can just assume 
that this is this is what's happening. Maybe I mean, God knows what it actually is, but still, um, the first reaction the in America obviously is to shoot anything that's <laughs> that's that shoot anything down, isn't it? Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. But uh, you know, that's uh, that, that's that's what it is. Um, to a little bit of a of a lighter of a lighter note as well. Um, Champions League has started after oh, yeah. after a long time as well. Yeah. Um, yesterday, I don't know if you if you saw the you know the highlights or the matches as well, but uh, Bayern Munich beat um, beat PSG one nil um, in Paris. In Paris. In, in Paris, uh, first leg, first leg done, and uh, let's see, let's see where. But it's, it's it's you know I think I it's it, it is interesting. It is interesting how Europeans. Um, you know, you know when when it's it when it is when it is the Euros, sorry, not the Euros, um, the Champions, Champions League. League yeah. How how different uh, how different big big nations come together, um, and different clubs they they play each other, and uh, sometimes that club which is maybe doing well domestically, in 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 Europe they don't do as good. And PSG I think is a prime example, prime example of that as well. They absolutely dominate the you know the La Liga, uh, Liga. League, League One yeah. yeah, but then when it comes to when it comes to Europe, you know they they, <laughs> they always they, fall short, don't they? They always yeah. fall short, yeah. I think it was in the final uh, a few years back as well that uh, it was Paris, it was by yeah, Munich, right? Yeah, it was. And Kingsley Coman was yeah, the one who yeah. <laughs> scored yeah, the winner. Yeah, yeah. I think it was one 0 as well. Yeah, that same yeah. same same goal scorer. He was uh, interestingly mm. he was actually. A former player of Paris Saint Germain when he was a youngster. So he's French, though. Isn't so he's it? come back to haunt them. <laughs> come back to haunt them yeah. twice. <laughs> he is French as well. Isn't yeah, he? he is French as well. Yeah, he plays for the French for the French team. But uh, you know, it's uh, Tottenham lost as well. Tottenham uh, lost, to lost, lost as well to AC Milan. Uh, AC Milan are doing quite uh, quite okay in Syria, but I think Napoli, Napoli, are, uh, they might take it. They might take the Syria title. Domestically, there's a big domestically. There's a big game today as well, right? Mm. I think it's Arsenal versus Man City. Arsenal versus City, yeah. Number one, number uh, one and two. Versus two, two yeah. yeah. So that's going to be a big that's, game. That's going to be Guardiola against his against his prodigy, uh, prodigy <laughs> yeah, Arteta. Yeah, yeah. Let's see what happens. Let's uh, see, the let's Premier League has been shaping up to be quite quite interesting quite as well, interesting. with everyone dropping points here and there. You don't know who's going to be ending up in the in the European spots at the end of the season. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you can't actually predict it as well. But I, I, I still, I do think. Uh, City, Man U, they're definitely going to be in it. Oh, you never know with Man United. <laughs> but they, they seem that, to be. They seem to have a. They're, quite... going, they're on the up. They're on the up. Yeah. They're going. They're going up. I mean, I think they're doing really well. Even Rashford. Rashford. Uh, he stepped up. He stepped on his game, yeah. and he's he's yeah he's, he's in form, and he's doing he's doing really he's doing really really well. But um, then you, you see like know. Liverpool, Chelsea, like they're literally ninth and tenth. West Tottenham, they're fifth. Uh, yeah, Tottenham are fifth. You know these teams like uh, Newcastle, Brighton, Fulham, Brentford. They've been doing really well. They've been doing really and overachieving, yeah. if anything, right? Yeah, that's true. So that's I mean, true. that's 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 made it more interesting. And you know, people all around the world are watching the the Premier mm. League, and pe- they're even calling it the the new super, the European Super League, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they of all are. the all the wealth and all the power, all the and, all, and everyone wanting to come and uh, to manage here and to play in England as well. That's true. And uh, you mentioned the other teams which are overachieving. I think Arsenal are overachieving. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone's just waiting for that bottle to come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For them to, to for find them to, for them to. But, you know, it might be today. It might Let's be see. today. Well, Let's yeah. see. Let's see. Arsenal have shown their credentials so far. They've been doing really well against they all ha- the top teams. They have been doing really well. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they... You know, last match, I think they lost lost to, to Brentford. No, it was, a draw, it was a draw, was it not? That was a one-all. Uh, one-all. That was because of a VAR. 
error as it usual. It was because of a VAR something error. Something we're used yeah. to hearing. Something we're used to hearing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not personally. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of VAR because because of the way that it's it is. Um, you know, it's not. It's not the same in other sports as well. In in sort of you know sort of cricket, there's not. You can't go. I mean, fine. You can go wrong, but there's you know there's very very slim chance of the you know the 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 third umpire going wrong or whatever whatever you call it. But in VAR, it's, it's always controversial. It is controversial. It's a difficult one because... It is a difficult one. In some in places, some, it's all right. Yeah. We some saw like good. in the World Cup as well where it, it was working and they were very quick with their decisions. Yeah, yeah. But it did lead to having longer um, extra time, you can say, after each That's half. That's true. That's true. Um, I think it's just the competency of the people who are, who are working the machine Maybe. Using the tools, I think that's something which uh, has been an issue, and you can even see in the news how you can see it. Yeah, there was a couple of people who were were either stepped down or taken away from um, working from in the VAR, VAR room. I mean, that's uh, that's the thing for me as well. If if VAR was working perfectly, I mean, obviously they can't work one hundred percent, right? Obviously, the human human beings can make mistakes, but if you know if they're working to the best of their ability, then yeah, fine, then uh, then I'll go for it. If not, then you know it's it's something which is, um, you know, which is you know, just like you mentioned, it is quite controversial as well at times as well, and it can actually lead to the wrong decisions as well, and that has happened uh, quite a few times uh, in the past. Um, so that's uh, you know that's the you know that's the news and uh, what's uh, what's happening as well, and of course you know uh, everyone looks forward to the, the the Champions League as well, which is also quite interesting. But let's see, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens today. Arsenal, um, Arsenal, and, uh, and, and Manchester City. It's going to be it's going to be a very very good game. Um, we're going to be taking a very short break, and right after that, we'll get into our our first segment. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about uh, breakfast, um, hot or cold. Um, just before we go on the break, what, what would you prefer? What would you prefer? Uh, I'm going to wait till after the break to let you know. <laughs> very interesting. Very interesting. So uh, all of our listeners, which are out there. Make sure you make sure you do ch- uh, stay tuned, and uh, you know we'll we'll get uh, we'll get Nuruddin's uh, um, preference after the break as well. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet, 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Uh, as mentioned before the break as well, we are going to be talking about breakfast. Um, how how do you like your breakfast or how do you have your breakfast? In light, in light of uh, National Hot Breakfast Month, um, where, where we're tackling the question if breakfast should be eaten warm or whether it should be eaten cold. And that's something um, that we're going to be uh, discussing as well. I mean, on a lighter sort of, uh, on a lighter note, when you have when you have cereal, do you just have, put it cold milk or do you, do you warm the milk up? <laughs> that's a big question, you know? Yeah, there's a whole debate about that. Uh, I'm probably going to upset a lot of people, but I like to have warm milk with mine. Seriously. Yeah, I just, I just, I just feel the taste comes out better <laughs> and the milk tastes better as well. <laughs> it's all been infused into it. So yeah. when I do have cereal, I do like it warm. <laughs> that's very interesting. That That is quite interesting as well. Um, I, you know, personally, I, I just have it cold. <laughs> I can't, I can't have, I mean, I can't have it hot. 
but you know each to their own each, each to their own of course <laughs> of course each to their own as well um we'll talk about this um you know during this uh, this whole um this whole segment as well but let's get our let's get our guest who's on the line with us and speak to them miss uh, marissa catherine carvini who is a non-diet uh, nutritional therapist and she mostly works with clients struggling with their mental health with a special interest in disordered eating as well. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show. Hello, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for, for joining us this morning. Um, just to begin with, uh, the, 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 there are many people who, instead of having you know straight up breakfast, they just have a little bit of later breakfast and they just have brunch. Um, from your from your expertise, from your view, is this uh, is this uh, sufficient, or should they should they you know not be having that and having should be having breakfast instead? Um, well, uh, sometimes it's fine to have anything you want. Sometimes brunch is lovely and fine. Hmm. But my my worry would be if we're regularly having one meal instead of two meals, then we're regularly having almost. Uh, you know, a third a third of our daily intake has sort of gone, or we're not getting it at the right time. So, um, you know, and I would be worried about things like balancing your blood sugars. So, if we're waking up and then we're waiting a long time until we eat, then then our blood sugars aren't going to be more balanced. And if our blood sugars are less balanced, then um, <clears throat> we're we're more likely to be sort of anxious, stressed, more likely to affect our immune system, and so on and so on. Um, and also, we need to be thinking about um, if we're having regularly one meal instead of two, you know, where we're getting all our nutrition from, all our proteins and our fats, and our, our, our calcium, our iron, and all that kind of thing. So while brunch is lovely and, and sometimes is great, for a regular thing, I would sometimes be, you know, a bit a bit worried about that, really. Yeah, so that's really interesting because um, a lot of people who are actually on diets, they may compromise what they eat or if they should even have breakfast in the first place. So I just wanted to ask, what are the common stigmas people have when being on a diet and how can we tackle those stigmas? Um, well, it's a good question. It's a big question, so I'll, I'll try and answer it. Um, uh, you know, I think, I think there are... Uh, so, um, uh, so in terms of whether people should eat breakfast or not eat breakfast or breakfast being stigmatised in that way... Um, generally, uh, I feel that sort of um, uh, any time anyone notices that their thoughts around the meal or certain foods or certain, well, certain ways of eating is rule-based, if it's a should or an ought, so I ought not to have breakfast or I should have, you know, I should have brunch instead of breakfast, as an example, you know, that's never a good idea because when we eat according to rules, so rule-based eating, never results in us being able to respond to our needs yeah so yep. that would be the main the, my main worry um uh, in terms of common stigmas well there's so so many in my clinic i just hear a plethora of new and in, weird and wonderful kind of stigmas around food and around meals um uh you know people are worried about things about carbohydrates or worried about fats or sugars or so on and so on and I feel the best way to, to tackle these issues is to always bring it back to your body and your needs. So if you need, what you need to eat is, as an individual, is always, is always the right answer, really. So it, the best way to sort of tackle these stigmas is to notice that the thought is rule-based, it's, it's, it's a should and an ought, 
and to and to think about okay well yeah but what do i need but at the same time if someone's on a diet they'll be thinking i i should be avoiding certain foods as you said as you talked about sugars about fats as well but i mean would it not boil down to having something which is balanced something which they could still have in the morning rather than either skipping it or you know reducing um you know the different types of food that they do have in the morning Yes, no, indeed. So um, I absolutely agree. In the end of the day, we all need to eat and we all need to eat a balanced of a balanced data, a balance of nutrition. And um, and so what's really important is that we're noticing if if there's like a, a rule and if we're in if there's we're noticing that rule, then we think, OK, well, well, what do I need? So and probably realistically, you need a bit of everything, you need some protein, you need some fat, you need um, something to make the food taste nice, and then and then if you're if you're not doing that either in a kind of diety way or you're not doing that because you are kind of over consuming in some way, then then there's then there's something wrong there. Okay, now I want to turn to I think probably the most important question we've been uh, wanting to ask about this on this breakfast show is that is there any difference really in in having a, a hot or cold breakfast, and if so. And what are the benefits of having a hot breakfast and what are the benefits of having a cold breakfast? Yeah, um, there's not much of a difference between hot breakfast and cold breakfast. Um, uh, in the end of the day, it's about the balance of nutrition. So if we think about an example, we could have peanut butter and berries and banana on toast or we could have like fried eggs or melted cheese and tomatoes on toast. Now, one of those hot, one of those is hot and one of those is cold. And in the end, they, nutritionally, they're, they're pretty similar in lots of ways. And so really, it's not about the temperature of the food, but about the balance of nutrition. However, the only time when it would matter is if your digestion is a little bit impaired. So for some people, eating porridge is much more easily digestible than, say, having granola. Or having cooked, cooked fruit or cooked apples would be better than kind of raw fruit, um, so, so, but if there there isn't such issues, then there's not not a big difference between hot and cold breakfast. So, um, Miss Marissa, when you talk about um, having uh, having breakfast, what what advice would you give? Uh, what's sort of the best way to actually start your day? Make sure that whatever you eat is will give you that energy, will make you healthy as well. How what advice would you give to our listeners? Um, my main piece of advice is to have what you want and what you can. So I'm really mindful that you know people, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, mornings are difficult times for lots of people. You know, parents trying to get children to school, people on shift work. Um, you know, uh, uh, depending on on lot, lots of things. So mornings are difficult. So most important is to have what you can. If sugary cereal is the best thing because it's quick, it's easy, it's cheap, then that's far better than nothing. So, so first of all, to be really compassionate that you're having what you can and what you can afford and what you ha- can in terms of timings. Mm. However, if we're going to be a little bit more sort of specific and particular, I would always say that the breakfast needs to have a good protein in it and you need that for your blood sugar balance, you need that for your energy, and we also need to have some fat in our breakfast. So, and we mm. really need that fat because it's really important for our, a little bit for our blood sugar balance, but also for our mental well-being. And it's really good for our nervous system. It's good for our concentration and our energy. So if we're having some kind of carbohydrate thing and some protein and fat, then that's just the best breakfast. That's, then, then you're going to be fine for the rest of the day. Mm. 
So, Marissa, we're going through the National Hot Breakfast Month. Um, should we change that to hot or cold breakfast? Because if there's not really much difference in it, then uh, <laughs> does it really matter if we're having it hot or cold? Yes, I think we should maybe just turn to like eat eat breakfast. That I think that as long as we're eating breakfast, then 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 I think then then that's much then that's that that's the ideal really. Now you know there there are some people. Who, uh, I mean, from, from different cultures, they have different types of uh, different types of breakfast as well. Some may be a little bit more uh, protein based, as like you mentioned. Some may be a little bit more oily as well. Um, mm. Or you know, a lot of a lot of different fried things as well. Is that is that still healthy, or is that should that just be um, limited? Yes, well, I don't think um, anything should be limited in a rule-based way. Mm. I think I'm. Uh, I think, and I also think it's really important to acknowledge the value of of your individual culture. Yeah, whether that's the culture within the home or, or your kind of wider culture, mm. because that's a really important and beautiful thing that we've got to sort of celebrate and 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 take part in. So, um, uh, as uh, but the the only small thing I would say is is this working for your body? So if you're you come from a culture where you just have sort of pastry in the morning, mm-hmm. but you work long hours in into the kind of later afternoon, or you have to get up very early for work, then that probably isn't going to be enough. And so you need to be thinking about, okay, great, well this is what I was brought up on, but what actually what actually do I need to make sure I've got enough sort of you know nutrients and energy for, for, for like the whole of my morning. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. There are some people as well that uh, you know they they may be you know they may they may have to get up early in the morning and start their shift, start their work, or even go to school uh, or whatever they have um, in the morning. And they may be you know they they sort of because sometimes it happens to people. And I've spoken to some people as well. They said that they they literally can't have breakfast. Um, I don't know, just something that you know they just can't have. And then they have a they have a you know a bigger lunch. Um, is that is that sort of? I know it comes back to the first sort of uh, the early questions that we asked you, but is that is that okay then, or is that you should they still be having or trying to have breakfast as much as they can? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's the question I hear in my clinic a, a lot. When people say things like I can't have breakfast, I often think, well why, well, why can't you have breakfast? You know, what's going on for you that means that maybe you feel nauseous mm. or or you don't have the appetite for it. You know, generally that's not that's not an ideal state of affairs. And so I would be thinking about why. You know, it could be related to your sleep pattern. It could be related to um, other things like stress and anxiety. Maybe there's a digestive issue. So um, instead of thinking, well, it doesn't matter. I just won't have breakfast, and I'll have a bigger, you know, I'll have a bigger lunch. Hmm. I'd be trying to think about, okay, well, what's going on for me? Because this isn't this isn't this is not ideal. Interesting, interesting. Uh, and some good advice as well uh, from you uh, this morning as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Marissa Catherine, and it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you, and I'm, I'm sure that the listeners would have benefited from uh, from your expertise as well. Thank well, you so hopefully much. Hopefully they choose a good breakfast now after absolutely. listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, definitely. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You so that was uh, Ms. Marissa Catherine Carini, who is a non-diet uh, tr- uh, nutritional therapist as well. And uh, mostly, mostly works with uh, clients struggling with their mental health, uh, with a special interest in uh, disordered eating as well. Uh, some good advice that she that she actually gave for for us as well. Um, so you know, com- coming back to the question, uh, what's your preferred uh, what's your preferred breakfast? <laughs> I knew I'd get get asked this uh, before I came to the show. Um, 
for me it's a, it's it's about balance and it's about I don't like mm. to have the same breakfast every single morning. Right. Um so I like to have a very yeah, sometimes yeah. I have cereal, I have a good porridge, sometimes I'll have some nice toast, mm. avocado, I like yeah. Um I like all kinds of my my all wife kinds. likes to likes to make a, var- a variation of different things every day. Eggs are really good in different ways, sometimes eggs, boiled, yeah. sometimes like, you know, scrambled. Uh, today, eggs. today I had this, just a simple, a simple breakfast. I had just um, some toast and some cheese and tomato, lettuce, and some fruit on the side with my tea. Mm. So I had a good, I had banana for the, that potassium. I had the some strawberries and uh, and my wife actually made some cake. So I was, I was lucky enough to have a little nibble of that as well oh, before I it? left. Yeah, so oh, I had a bit, no, of, bit, of, bit of mix of every, everything here and there. That's that's really good. I mean, uh, f- for me, it's the same as well. For me, I like a variety of different things as well. But traditionally. Um, I like the more, you know, the traditional uh, breakfasts as well. Um, you know, in what oily. sense? Traditional for who? <laughs> <laughs> for, for myself, the Asian background, isn't it? Yeah. Um, having that, having that prata, um, you know, oily, oily chapati, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, with uh, whatever, whatever it may be, whether it be eggs, um, scrambled eggs, you know, or an omelette, something like that. Spicy, spicy omelette, that sort of. I prefer that, but I, you know. Um, breakfast is uh, something which is some days I can have it some days I can't have it uh, well, you have to ask it, yourself why you can't have it that's Miss yeah, have to ask. <laughs> yeah I mean yeah, yeah she, I mean, she didn't mention some, some good points as well you know sometimes you know I just uh, you know sometimes I feel nauseous I mean it's something from when I was younger but still it's, it's uh, when I have breakfast and I like to have a big a big breakfast nice so. breakfast like a king <laughs> like a king yeah. yeah that's how it is that's how it is but uh, what are your thoughts uh, what, you know how do you like to have your breakfast as well 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call and tell us uh, what you think uh, what do you think about this as well um, one question which I, I think I was I think I probably forgot to ask her as well was is breakfast the the most important meal of the day and uh, some people you know some people say it is some people say that it doesn't really matter um if you have a if you have breakfast or if you don't have breakfast or if you have a heavy breakfast or not some people say that you know the breakfast should be should be you know the the biggest meal of the day or the main meal of the day and the lunch should be a little bit less than that and then your dinner should be even less than that but then some people some people say that it doesn't really matter you can have you know you can have a lot at lunch or even at dinner if you have a if you have a slightly early dinner because you don't want to have a late dinner that's obviously going to affect your your sleeping pattern as well so you know it's, yeah it's they do say there's the old saying of um, breakfast like a king lunch like a prince and dinner like a pauper yeah they, so, yeah you know, that's, breakfast that's what I said should be that, yeah. your biggest your biggest one and uh, mm. and have only 3 meals a day i think it's about but it is a saying as well though, isn't it it is a saying yeah so it's <laughs> about i think it's about um having good portions of food and not like hmm. um and spreading out at the right times of the day, rather spreading than like, the right times of the rather day, yeah. than just having a little bit of food here and there, and in between snacking and stuff, when you're just feeling a bit feeling a bit peckish. Feeling a bit peckish. So yeah. have have enough so that you don't uh, go throughout the whole day just nibbling on little things yeah. throughout the day. I mean that's unhealthy as well, isn't it? Yeah. But obviously, you know, I understand. I understand when people have you know eating disorders as well. They maybe you know they have to go through ser- therapy as well. They have to go through that process as well. But obviously, you know, if you're if you're if if you don't need to go through that, then yeah, just like you mentioned, having spacing your meals out uh, throughout the day, make sure you're having good good portions, not too much, not too less as well. Yeah. Um. So you know, ma- making keeping keeping that balance, keeping that balance as well. For me, as a Muslim, um, yeah, I always remember the saying of the of the Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah yeah. upon him that um, you should have. So he, he talked about 
exactly like this kind of thing that we're talking about portion sizes yeah, right exactly he yeah. said your stomach should be filled one third with food mm. one third with drink and one yeah. third leave it uh, leave space for like air or whatever so you can breathe properly exactly well, yeah. so you don't like stuffing yourself so that your, so your you other organs are all <laughs> squashed together <laughs> yeah. I mean um, that is some sound that is some sound advice as well yeah I mean even scientific research will tell you that um after about 20 minutes of mm. um, yeah, yeah, after yeah. you start eating yeah, that's, that's when you that's when you feel how full you are mm. so if you if you're if you're eating and eating eating and eating like on and on um sometimes you feel like <clears throat> sorry you feel like indigestion like after yeah. 20 minutes like oof i've had i've had so much food i'm like i feel mm. really stuffed now yeah. but by then it's too late because you've already stuffed yourself you're, more than you're already more than, done that. exactly more than your stomach um, <clears throat> capacity can take right? so if you if you you know if you're i mean his holiness has given us this uh, this advice as well um, as well, just like you mentioned, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said this as well that when you're when you think that you're about to be full when you're eating and you think you're about to be full, just a bit before that, or just at that time, just stop eating after twenty minutes. Just like you mentioned, you're you will you will feel full as well. You'll feel as if you're you're okay. You can breathe properly as well. Yeah. You can even have <clears> some <throat> some water as well. Um, there there are some there are some I don't know if they're misconceptions or if they're whatever they are. But some people say that you know you shouldn't drink uh, water after or during or after your meal as well. But I'm not sure if there's any, uh, you know, if that's based on anything as well. It might just be a saying. But uh, you know, you I'm not sure about that. But I know like you know, coffee yeah. lovers and you know, tea lovers, and in the morning I heard it's <clears throat> it's more it's more beneficial to start the day with um, you know with water before you have a before coffee. Yeah, yeah with water yeah. yeah have a glass of water and then you can have your yeah yeah yeah, yeah. exactly so generally yeah. like it kind of helps you to have a bit of a, a feel how 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 much capacity you have left in your stomach and mm. and you know you let your the body work and wake up in the way that it should. Mm. Uh, rather than quickly going into having the caffeine straight away, trying to wake yeah. yourself up, and ended up having some detrimental effect as well. That's true. It could have some long term, some long term uh, effects as well, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so th- these are some uh, some things that uh, you know, which which are interesting and they're good to know as well. Of course, this saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, very beneficial for for I think all of us. Um, you know, make sure that you put your food or whatever your meal that you're having into proportions, and of course, what you know have. Put, fill your stomach one third with uh, with food, one third uh, with water, and one third you know leave it for air so you can easily easily breathe as well. Um, we're coming towards uh, the hour, and uh, the, the 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 news is looming as well. Uh, we're going to be taking a short break for that, and uh, right after that, we were fortunate enough to uh, to interview uh, Dr. Tom Butler. So we'll speak or we'll listen to we'll listen to that as well um, after the uh, after the news break. But of course, it, it is an interactive show. If you want to um, talk to us or tell us what you think, zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven. It is the number for you to call and tell us what type of breakfast do you prefer, hot or cold? Here's the news. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Um, we were fortunate enough to interview Dr. Tom Butler uh, as well, and, uh, you know, which gave us, uh, who gave us some more. 
uh, insight in regards to this as well because he is a lecturer in uh, nutrition and health at uh, Edge Hill University. Let's listen to let's listen to what he had to say. We do have with us on the line Dr. Tom Butler, who is a senior lecturer in nutrition and health at Edge Hill University. He is a registered nutritionist and registered dietitian specializing in cardiovascular health. Tom is the scientific officer for the British Dietetic Association Public Health Nutrition Specialist Group and the British Association for Cardiovascular Prevention and Rehabilitation. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you, and welcome to the breakfast show, Doctor, where today we will be discussing breakfast. Nice Nice to be with you all as well, fantastic. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for being with us. Um, is it indeed, is breakfast indeed the most important meal of the day? If so, what are some of its health benefits? That, that's a really, really good question. And um, I think the, the best answer is it depends kind of on what you actually have for breakfast. So breakfast itself, the name means breaking the fast. And traditionally, this is the fasting that happens between the last meal of the previous day and breakfast, the first thing for many people uh, that they eat in the morning when they wake up. Um, we have lots of information, lots of studies that have um, reported very clear beneficial effects of consuming breakfast, such as improvements in um, blood glucose, uh, tending to, you know, breakfast, people who eat breakfast tend to have a lower body mass index or BMI, tend to be um, have better um, cholesterol profile, so linking for heart health. But also, it, it very much depends on what people actually have for breakfast as well. And this is kind of where there's some um, ambiguity, shall we say, in the data, because yes, you could say breakfast is possibly one of the most important meals of the day, but it very much depends on what you have. But we know from a lot of studies, like I say, that those people who do eat breakfast tend to have better health profiles than those people who routinely don't consume breakfast. Um, But perhaps we can talk about some of those challenges, perhaps, um, in terms of what was a healthy breakfast and what's not a healthy breakfast as well. Thank you. So would you kindly enlighten us on on some other misconceptions and stigmas people have around diets, particularly the morning meal? Yeah, so I think one of the really, one of the things that I find really interesting is how if you ask people what, what constitutes a breakfast, then most people will automatically say cereal. And I think if you look, you know, you, if you go into like a supermarket or any particular shop and you look at um, you know, the cereal aisle, you can see that a lot of the products there are kind of aimed to be consumed at breakfast time. And this, I think, is a really important thing to, to kind of address, that breakfast doesn't always need to be about cereal. There are lots of other foods which make fantastic breakfast um, options. So, for example, things like um, oats, uh, yogurts, fruits, um, and even kind of more protein-rich foods such as eggs, for example, as well, can be great um, for breakfast as well. But I think one of the biggest misconceptions people have around breakfast is that it needs to be kind of a cereal. So we know actually that there are lots of cereals that are available to us all to buy in supermarkets. Some are better than others. And by better than others, I mean some have a lower sugar, lower salt content than other types of cereals. Uh, And unfortunately, it tends to be the cereals which are orientated towards children that tend to be higher in uh, salts and sugar, which obviously isn't great for for their health. And we know, um, I'm sure listeners are aware of the the issues that we have that being reported by the government in terms of sugar and sugar consumption and health. And so really from a a material point of view, 
those which are higher in, in sugar aren't particularly good um, for our health. We do know, however, that cereals in general are good in terms of their micronutrient profile, so the vitamins and minerals. Cereals are fortified with vitamins and minerals, which is great. Uh, and there will be some people, or lots of people all across the UK, who um, are making very difficult decisions regarding their food choices at the moment. And cereals are a great, cheap, affordable way of getting those extra vitamins and minerals in. It's just really important that um, if you are eating breakfast cereals, that they should be kind of lower in sugar and higher in fiber. So, yeah, the misconceptions really relate to the types of cereal and indeed the types of foods that can be or should be consumed at breakfast time. So does that mean we should have a balanced diet according to the real model then? Like not just have carbs and milk in our diet? So I, I think, yeah, I think I do think that's important. And I think if you look at the composition of a, a, like a, a traditional or typical breakfast, it's very heavily focused around carbohydrates. Now, there is some kind of theory around why that is the case. So, for example, if you haven't eaten anything between, let's say, 7 p.m. the previous night and breakfast at, say, 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning, then your body will be using some of its stored energy in the form of glycogen and it'll be breaking down that glycogen to maintain your normal blood glucose levels. So I guess part of the idea behind having a diet, a breakfast that's relatively high in carbohydrate is that you can kind of restore that glycogen that's in your body and replenish your body's reserves. But, you know, there are other foods that can be just as uh, nourishing for breakfast and that can actually help in terms of um, regulating kind of appetite throughout the rest of the day. So one of those things which I've found people... Um, who consume more of a breakfast um, tend to have a better appetite during the rest of the day are things like protein-rich foods. And there are some data which suggest that if you have a, a, a breakfast which tends to have a bit more protein in, so maybe some eggs or some yogurt or something like that, then that can actually stop people snacking around mid-morning time, which can actually lead to kind of a better overall energy balance during the day and help with a bit of weight management and weight maintenance too. So, there are some foods which kind of we should have less of at breakfast and there are some foods you should maybe have more of, but it very much depends on the individual and what they kind of want to, uh, ultimately what they like to eat. Thank you very much. So there's a saying, eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince and dinner like a pauper, which actually seems to be the reverse for most Western cultures. I'm sure we've all like, you mentioned earlier as well, we just don't eat breakfast in the morning, forget our fuel for the day, rush out the door. What are some of the implications of skipping breakfast due to a lack of time or even by Hobson choice? So I think one of the uh, one of the, the biggest problems that um, I see and I hear about with people who um, regularly skip breakfast is what this means for food choices later on in the day. So if you take an example of somebody who wakes up early in the morning and has a commute to work, let's say, for example, on a train or a bus or, or the drive, if they don't have breakfast at home, and let's be honest, most people in the morning are rushing. People might have um, children to get to nursery, to get up, um, also might have slept in a little bit late, then breakfast isn't really a priority. And I think the alternative to that is then you grab something that is convenient to eat on the go. And these foods which are convenient to be eaten kind of on the move tend to be kind of higher in uh, fat, higher in salt and higher in sugar. And you only have to really look at a lot of the food which is available in, let's say, any train station throughout the country. And if you look at the majority of the products which are sold in those food outlets, they tend to be quite sweet, quite fatty products. And they're higher in calories. They're certainly higher 
in calories and energy than what a traditional breakfast cereal would be. So one of the problems with skipping breakfast is what this means to um, your energy intake for the rest of the day. And we tend to see that people who skip breakfast on a regular basis tend to consume uh, more mid-morning at lunchtime and also other meals later in the day. And it kind of tends to be associated with um, weight gain over the course of how many years you want to look at. So skipping meals um, and not thinking about what you're eating at other meal times is, is a big problem. And, and that is, I think, something which everybody faces on a day-to-day basis because we might not have breakfast, we come home in the evening and we maybe make our tea or our dinner and we perhaps sit in front of the television and we just watch TV and we really we don't really think about what we're eating. So I think, you know, one thing that which, which I think everybody would benefit from, and, and it's, it's a hard thing to do for a lot of people, but it's actually to sit down and actually eat a meal and think about what you're actually eating. Because we're so caught up in, you know, being early and being on time for work and getting places here and there and everywhere. We've got to kind of make time for ourselves in the morning and focus on kind of getting ourselves ready for the day. And in my view, having a good breakfast, preparing ourselves mentally and physically, maybe even practicing a little bit of mindfulness before we kind of head to work is a really good and important start to the day. Absolutely. Um, so you just spoke about uh, why people struggle to eat due to a busy lifestyle. Um, what about due to health reasons with cardiovascular disease being among the most common diseases worldwide? What advice do you have with regard to that? How can one motivate oneself to take a substantial and nutritious meal? So I think one of the hardest things when we talk about motivation is, is it's very easy, obviously, for us to talk about what people should or should not do. And, you know, I see this a lot on, on Twitter and Instagram about how you should just go out and go for a run and make all these lovely, fantastic lifestyle changes. But the, the long and short of this is it's very difficult for people to make big changes to their diet and to their lifestyle. Uh, especially if they aren't ready to make any of these particular changes. So one of the first steps, I think, in considering or making any change is thinking, am I at the right place to make a change? Am I really where I want to be? Am I really interested in making a change? And if the answer is yes, and that's fantastic because it shows that you're motivated and you're ready to go. And in that situation, it's about making small, sustainable changes, which over time have a big impact and it might be for example you go well do you know what i'm going to get rid of my sugary frosted cereal for breakfast and i'm going to really just focus on uh, healthier low sugar alternatives and that's going to be my real tiny goal and we say it out loud going from a sugary cereal to a less sugary one sounds quite trivial but for somebody who uh, needs to lose a bit of weight or has been told that they've got issues in terms of their glucose or cholesterol then making that small change and sustaining that over a long period of time will have a big effect on their health. And I think the key message is lots of little changes that are sustained for a long period of time have a huge benefit. It's very easy for people to make massive drastic changes, which might work for a week or two, but then if people fail because their lifestyle isn't great or they have other things that are going on, then that means people feel demoralized because they've failed and they slip back into their old ways. So I think the key thing is to make small, achievable changes that can be sustained for the long term. Those are the ones which have the biggest impact on our long-term health. Absolutely, step-by-step, little-by-little, the job gets done. Um, So for the benefit of our listeners, is there anything else you'd like them to take away today? 
on maintaining a good diet and lifestyle? No, I, I think one of the most important things, and I think this is something that we've just lost lost sight of in society, is that food is not just about providing us with energy. Um, yes, it helps support us grow and live and recover from exercise, all these amazing things. But food is also fundamental to how we work as a society because so much of our day is built around it and, and should be structured around it. So if you think about breakfast in the morning, a lot of people perhaps have something to eat on the go. But really kind of if you imagine sitting down with, you know, your partner, your children and having breakfast, talking about what you're going to do during the day, um, eating lunch with colleagues at work and maybe when you come home in an evening, sitting down at the table if possible and discussing how your day has been and talking to people. Uh, around food. Food has that huge potential to bring people together because it has a um, fantastic social role in our society. So I think as a lasting um, message for our listeners, the key thing to remember is that food has to be enjoyable and we should enjoy food with our friends and family and use it to kind of improve our life through those means as well. Thank you so much, Professor, for educating us on filling up our tank to face the day, debunking misconceptions, reminding us how critical it is to take care of, of ourselves, how to do so, and social implications as well. Um, thank you very much for joining us, and we'd warmly welcome you back on the show in the future. Thank you very much. Pleasure to speak to you all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. So that was uh, an interview that we were fortunate enough uh, to do uh, of uh, Dr. Tom Butler. Very interesting uh, listening to him as well. Um, we've got a very short, uh, a very short audio clip that we want to uh, play as well for for our listeners. Uh, let's listen to that as well. Like whenever you talk about food, right. you talk you, like because before your food gets into your system, right. you're actually looking at food. Right. That's you're smelling thing, yeah. it. Yeah. You are looking at the color. Right. Put it this way, if you make a very good dish that's tasty, but you don't present it well, right. nobody's going <laughs> to eat it. But why is that? Is that a psychological mechanism in human beings? That it is. Can... Like if you look at even the digestive system, it's pretty much controlled by central nervous system, the glands, the hormones. There are messages going in. So it's very important because even the color and the shape, the texture, that is actually... Look at the, those traditional sweets, right? right, right yeah. If you give me a white color ladu, I'm never going to have it because <laughs> I know it's usually right. a yellow in color right. and I, I'm expecting the taste of it. Right. So yeah. that's what it is. Like whenever you think of food, of course you look at diversity and all yeah. the other stuff. Yeah. Right, yeah. But the foremost important thing is yeah. the quality of food. Yeah. Of course, it's, it's hygienically safe. Right. It's, uh, again, accessibility, the price and all those things come later. When you go to the market, yeah. Yeah. the first thing you're looking at is the quality of food. Very interesting. Um, the you know the Holy Quran has you know is a, is a guidance for all of us. Is, is a guidance for all of us, right? For for all time's sake, is a universal guidance. And in that, um, Allah the Almighty has told us, uh, you know, to eat and drink, but uh, do not exceed the do not exceed the limit, do not exceed the bounds as well. And that just goes very much in line with what we, what we were talking about before as well, talking about you know eating in proportions, eating. Sorry, uh, not too much, not excessively, and uh, eating you know uh, spaced out as well. You know, three times three times a day, eating healthy, all the good things that you need to eat as well: vegetables, fruits, um, your you know your protein. Make sure your your food, your meal is uh, is balanced, and that's something which you know which will which will keep you keep you healthy. Yeah, just as Miss yeah. Marissa said, it's something which is um, 
good for you. Yeah. That's exactly what the Quran is also saying that it's not just eat out that which is lawful, but also that which is wholesome, which is wholesome, which is good for you. Means what? Uh, you're not allergic to all those kind of things which are in line with your your body as well. Absolutely. So I think that Absolutely. all goes hand in hand. It all goes hand in hand as well. Um, uh, let's, let's draw a conclusion to to this part of the show as well. This uh, this segment. And uh, we'll uh, go into our next segment as well, our next topic, which is about maintaining good agriculture for not just our generation, but for the before the next uh, generation as well. Um, so there's, uh, there's a report from uh, FOLU, which is F-O-L-U, which calls the need for... Which and, is the Food uh, and Land Use Coalition, right? Food and Land uh, Coalition, yes. Food, uh, food and Land Use Co- Coalition, absolutely. Um for 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 an outcome based uh, framework in order to uh, co- uh, quantify and evaluate regenerative agriculture particles and to avoid stigmas that may be sort of hazardous uh, as well so this food and land um, this coalition they they actually done this and how we can actually you know create an outcome based uh, based on framework on sustainable agriculture as well so it is something which if we do implement these uh, different things we can uh, we can make it not just uh, it will be good for not just beneficial for us but for the next generation uh, to come as well isn't it and yeah i think there's a lot of pressure on um on the ag- agricultural se- sector at the moment like to produce as much as you can it's become like almost like an econ- economic sector so um but that that then chucks out the whole um the whole aspect of sustainability. So I think we, as we delve into this, we need to find out how can agriculture become sustainable. How can it be something which um, does not cause harm to you know, the soil and you know to the air and to and to the land? Um, all these different factors that come into it. How can it be carried out in a way which will be sustainable for for ourselves and something which you know we won't be like a forced to like um, over overuse the land and you mm. know, that kind of thing. That's something which is a uh, which is the future, really, of our of our agriculture? And uh, let's you know, let's speak to let's speak to our guest uh, who who is on the line with us as well, Dr. Nicola Cannon, who is an associate professor of agriculture at the Royal Agricultural University in Cirencester, um, which also specialises in uh, agronomy. Let's uh, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show. Hello, are you here with us? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Thank you. Thank you so much for for joining us uh, this uh, this morning. Um, w- w- so just to just to begin with as well, what are current uh, the, the current uh, coping systems in place in cropping systems mm-hmm. in place to actually um, in in this day and age? So over the last fifty years, uh, basically farmers have become much more specialised. So they've become generally become either crop farmers or livestock farmers, and um, they bought the equipment and learnt the skills to specialise in the particular um, sector that they um, have, have um, specialised in, and they've made the investments that way, um, which means that um, we have less diversity out in the countryside because of it. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to when it comes to uh, cropping systems, what are the major challenges, though, which uh, you know, which uh, people are facing, farmers are facing as well? Yeah. So um, where they've become specialised, they keep growing the same crops. So, for example, in the United Kingdom, wheat is a really important crop. Oilseed, rape, 
barley. And then as you go into different regions around, you'll come into crops like potatoes and sugar beet and things like that. But um, where they keep growing the same crop very frequently, so they still practice crop rotations, which means they grow a different crop each year in the field, but it means they return to each crop quicker. So maybe they grow something like wheat and then barley and then oilseed rape. But because they're coming back to the same crop so quickly, they're finding that things like um, the weed control, the herbicides that they use, um, the weeds are becoming resistant to it, or the pests such as aphids are becoming resistant to the spray. So it's getting harder to manage the challenges put upon the agricultural system. So you've spoken about how you know this rotation of different um, uh, crops that that the that are that are being planted and 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 put into the ground. Um, is this something which is happening year after year, or is it something that takes time, um, or they're doing it on a shorter scale? And if you, if you just moving on from that, is there any like further practices? Like, are there any further practices which are regenerative in the agricultural uh, sector, and you know that can actually help improve the cropping system even further? Yeah, so there's this big um, move into what's called regenerative agriculture. So we would hope that any agricultural system is sustainable, which means that it could carry on in infinitum. You're not compromising the future by what you do today. Um, But we need to take agriculture a stage further than that and not only just make it... um, that it can carry on, but that we're building better soils which are healthier and uh, therefore more resilient to climate change and extreme weather events and things like that. So there's like core principles which are regenerative farming and um, there's there's five core principles involved in that. Um, And they're kind of keeping the soil covered at all times so when we get extreme weather events, it doesn't just wash away because it's got something covering it keeping living roots in the soil so the soil is bound together by a root network that's alive and functioning um, and having diversity within the system so different plants different species that exploit different parts um, of light or soils or things like that and also that helps create resilience But on top of that, farmers are being encouraged to become less specialist and perhaps if they're just cropping farmers, arable farmers, to bring livestock back into the arable system. So that could be chickens, it could be sheep or something like that. Um, And that adds much more diversity in there. And the fifth principle is to really do this in an appropriate manner because it's got to be suitable for the soils and climate of where we are. And they're the regenerative farming principles it's interesting you talked about diversity because something that comes to mind is that I've understood that farmers have been told in general to diversify their practices and um, this is something which is on a practical scale I wanted to ask like is this something which is viable though is it something that they can get permissions for really easily is it something that they can um, continue to do so whilst also maintaining their profit because of also the soaring prices um, for the agricultural sector as well it's something, it's something which uh, I feel a lot of farmers are under a lot of pressure to um, to find new ways to find get that income because the prices have just gone up so much so how, how are they dealing with this? Yeah so for a long time you're right farmers have been encouraged to diversify but they were often encouraged to do kind of off farm activities to um, 
maybe set up having holiday cottages or storing caravans or something like that, using the assets that they had on the farm. But now the diversification is really in the cropping. But um, it is really hard for them because the reason we grow wheat in many parts of the world is because it's a globally traded commodity and it's suited to a wide range of um, climates and soils. And therefore, we can get good yields and make good money out of it. And so fundamentally, when a farmer grows a crop, they want to make money out of it, just as when we go out to work, we want to bring a salary pack at home. And um, it's finding crops, other crops within the rotation or other livestock enterprises that will um, produce a viable and reliable um, economic return. So, for example, it's really good to grow soya beans in the UK because we consume a lot of soya bean and um, it, it's a legume crop that fixes its own nitrogen, which is one of the big challenges. But it's really hard to get reliable yields because our climate is marginal for it. So finding crops that are suitable to grow um, is much more of a challenge than it may initially appear now going back to like the regenerative agriculture which we're talking about today um especially in this segment there's something which has been a bit of an issue hasn't it um dr nicola because you know the food and land use coalition report itself is indicating that there's a lack of definition of what that actually means and can that really can that cause further problems if um if there's no like concrete definition about it and how can we go about tackling that issue in today's society Yeah, and it builds on a further issue. So we've had the issue of what is organic farming. And fundamentally, when um, you ask someone what organic farming is, they say it doesn't have fertilizer on it. But actually, organic farming is much more complex than that. Um, It's it's farming using uh, natural principles. And it's more than just the absence of synthetic fertilizer and, um, and pesticides. It's about the whole crop rotations and the whole growing system following organic principles. And now um, we're moving into this regenerative era. Regenerative is um, different to organic. You don't have to be organic to be regenerative. So you can still use some um, crop inputs. Um, And where I mentioned those five principles of regenerative farming, it's really hard to express that on a packet of rice or a packet of peas or whatever it is that you are selling in a supermarket or fresh produce or on a market stand um, because they're five complex principles and the word regenerative in itself doesn't um, give the whole picture and so we've got confusion about what is conventional agriculture what you normally buy how that's produced is that bad or is that good um, you know, what is organic farming? And now another label in there. So it's, it's confusion for the consumer, but um, it's quite a difficult one to get right and need some careful thinking about. I think people can also exploit that, right? Because without that um, concrete definition there, people could just um, say whatever practices that they are taking. Yeah, the, the, it, may, it may seem to the consumer that what the way that they've made this product is uh, in a regenerative manner. Um, but I think 
obviously on the part of the consumer, then they won't really know what kind of practices are regenerative as they don't have a proper definition of what that is. So people are being misled. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that that is a possibility, right? Um, absolutely. And that's where it differs from the organic sector, where to use the word organic, so if I wanted to sell you eggs that were organic, they have to be certified. So they're legally defined, whereas um, regenerative isn't. And because that fifth principle, principle I mentioned was appropriateness it means different things in different scenarios so strictly regulating it is actually really hard to say you know what proportion of your farm should be livestock how much of your crop nutrition should come from um, animal manured or from fertility building crops and all those kind of things so it's quite difficult to pinpoint down to make it work in all scenarios is it, sorry, just to just to move on from uh, carry on from that is the, is it something which is still profitable though? Um, if we're talking about regenerative farming, agriculture, sorry, is it something which still is profit, profitable for the farmers themselves, or is it something which is um, kind of being forced upon them that this is the next generation of farming and you just have to like conform to it? Um, there's two ways to consider that. So some farmers are being forced by the failings of their previous agricultural systems. So where they've been growing, say, wheat every three years and barley every three years and things like that, they may now have a build-up of weeds um, which in the ground, which have become very difficult or impossible to control with chemicals. And therefore, they can't carry on farming profitably in the way they have been. So they're seeking alternative solutions. So many farmers come to this out of a desperate need to do something else. And then um, they need to find out how to put these principles into practice. And for example, if they've been a specialist arable farmer, they probably don't have livestock on their farm. And to suddenly invest in livestock is, is um, a large amount of money, a specialist skill set. And whilst that may pose a challenge to certain farmers, it actually offers opportunities to other people. So they don't need to do everything themselves. And this is a different mentality of farming. And perhaps they can have a young new farmer in who doesn't have land, who then wants to set up a livestock enterprise on their farm. So they might want to um, you know, have an egg producing unit or produce um, chickens or lamb or something like that. And therefore, there's new opportunities for the sector, but it takes a different mindset to work with that. Um, so it's a combination of kind of strategic challenges versus new thinking and um, a new business model going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, was, um, so one last thing before, should you, before I, um, I, I let fine. you carry on. There was, I don't know if you've watched um, Clarkson's Farm, something which has been out uh, the first season was out a while ago and uh, just uh, the other day I was watching part of the second season and he was trying to diversify, uh, Jeremy Clarkson was trying to diversify within his farm as well and he and he bought cattle as well, bought some cows. Um, but again, he I know it's a humorous kind of show, but at the same time he, he exposes the difficulties and the trials that farmers do have to go through, especially like when they're trying to uh, find new ways of income. And with the cattle, that brings also new challenges as well because... Um, there's so many factors which are out of your control, kind of, um, in terms of uh, the weather, in terms of disease as well. He was saying, like, from badgers which um, spread uh, TB. Um, and that's something which is very difficult because badgers are not something which you can control by, by law. You're not allowed to uh, 
um, you know, kill them or shoot them as as you would be able to do yeah. with with other animals. So is again, I just wanted to ask, like, it, is is it still is it something which is um, which farmers are finding so unviable that they can't carry on, or is it something that uh, you know that is easy for for them to move on to if they're only crop farmers in, in, at the beginning? Yeah, um, I mean, Clarkson's raised some really interesting issues. I haven't seen the new series, and I live very close to him, and so I can appreciate the challenges. And in the Cotswolds, where he's farming, um, badgers uh, have become an increasing issue, and um, as you say, it's very difficult to address. And if you've got large sets, badger sets on your farm, um, and um, you know, up until now, there's been no opportunity to control them and um, if they're infected then you know they're likely to infect your cattle but it's not just badgers it's deer as well and there's a lot of deer a lot more deer out in the countryside now than there was um, say 20 years ago and they're spreading things around and it's really difficult when you put animals into sheds I mean, this morning we've woken up to a hard frost and if you've got animals in a shed you'll have feed out. out out in the countryside on a wider scale everything's frozen so if you're a badger it's hard to have got your nutrition that you need because the ground's frozen so the easiest thing is to walk into the cattle shed and nick some of the um, cattle food and in the process you probably urinate on their food which they then ingest and if there's tb you know you've got you've got an issue there so there are a few control measures farmers can put in place such as fence off their yards to try and prevent badgers entering into them. But if you're in a high badger pressure or deer pressure area, um, it's quite hard to start livestock farming, which is why you might think of something like chickens or sheep instead, which are um, not dangerous that, that cattle are to TB. But yeah, it's a lot of money to invest and then suddenly go down with with TB, even though there is a compensation scheme, it doesn't pay for the true costs of it all. And um, so it's a difficult decision to make, really. And needs careful consideration of uh, management of the risk factors in there. I mean, it is a. I mean, it is a difficult, um, you know, position that farmers are actually going through as well um, with all of this, you know, different process of trying to diversify and obviously, and obviously looking after the crops as well as the animals uh, uh, as well. Dr. Nicola, I just wanted to ask you in terms of um, improvement, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're a dedicated researcher in this field as well, so how can we sort of improve our crop system, cropping the whole system as well uh, in, this, in this climate uh, based on your research as well, and how can we actually make a positive, uh, a positive outcome out of this? Yeah, that's a really good point. So basically about 60 years ago, 60, 70 years ago, we had the Green Revolution, which really, really took off in certain parts of the world. And here, every wheat crop we go grow, for example, is now um, much shorter because of the Green Revolution than it was um, pre the Green Revolution. And that's meant that we can use fertilisers and inputs, but it's also meant we've increased yields substantially. And that's enabled, you know, just before Christmas, we reached 8 billion people on the planet. And they're being fed partially as a result of the Green uh, Revolution and the inputs that we put on agriculture. And so now we need to have the next agricultural revolution, which works on principles which are in harmony with nature. And so um, 
for example, maybe growing two crops together, which is called bicropping, so that if we have challenging weather conditions for one, it doesn't impact the other. But also you've got um, a less crowded crop out in the field, so the risk of disease transmission or pest attack is slightly less, and you've got a way of buffering it. And also we're doing things like looking at growing um, crops with permanent understory of white clover underneath so that the soil isn't there at any point in time or through the winter there's cover. But also that clover can fix nitrogen, which means we don't have to go and buy industrially produced synthetic nitrogen, mm. which has a very high um, carbon footprint and is also prone to releasing greenhouse gases into the environment. So we need to look at think slightly differently about agriculture and look at alternative ways of producing, which may result initially in slightly less yield. But if that means that we're working towards net zero targets and a sustainable future um, and hopefully a regenerative future for not just our generation, but our children and our children's children, that's what we've got to do. Otherwise, we're just heading into a climate emergency and lots of hungry people, which is a disaster for everyone on Earth. Dr. Nicola, just before you go, um, there's two big major events going on in the world right now with the war in Ukraine. Um, obviously, there's the earthquake going on, but um, apart from that, I think Brexit and the war in Ukraine are two things I wanted to focus on. How have these affected the agricultural uh, landscape within within England, within the UK? And, you know, with, with Ukraine being the breadbasket of Europe, how has the production from there affected what happens in, in the UK how has Brexit affected our farming as well? Yeah, good questions. So um, the immediate thing of Ukraine is the reduction in cropping area and also they've had a reduction in input supplies to grow the crops where they can still grow them. And that's meant less um, wheat, but also sunflowers and soya and commodities like that ending up on the global market. And... Um, Many countries in the world are reliant on importing crops because they don't produce enough themselves. And because of supply and demand, supply has reduced, demands remain the same or even gone up because of population increase. Um, and um, therefore, price rose. So we saw large price spikes in um, 2022, which meant for some people it became very challenging to buy those commodities and if that's your daily bread for example it's important that you have food in your stomach um, for UK farmers that's impacted it initially had quite a positive impact for them because the price of the wheat they were producing went up but the negative impact for them is the reduction of natural gas coming out of, of Russia as a result of the Ukrainian war meant that um, a lot of fertiliser manufacturing sites were closed because there's insufficient uh, natural gas to, um, which is one of the raw ingredients of producing fertiliser. So the cost of fertiliser um, rose dramatically, and it, I mean it has it has wavered around, but it's substantially higher than it was um, kind of 14 months ago, and that has meant that the cost of growing crops has increased as well. And that's something impacting the whole of Europe. Um, so last year, was uh, many farmers 
had already bought their fertilizers so they could secure a good yield. But this year they're having to pay much more for their um, the inputs they need to grow it. And then moving that into Brexit, um, of course we have many um, trade deals um, you know, within the EU and so we've had to look further afield for trade deals and um, that's put a lot of concern on um, that they meet the equivalent standard of what we have in the UK. And um, on top of that, we've had you know, fluctuations in the value of the pound, the strength of the pound, which um, alters how attractive it is to import or export goods from the United Kingdom. And agriculture is, of course, a major importer and um, somewhat an exporter of, of goods. So it's been very much um, fluctuating times and we've had to pass new legislation in the UK because we previously had European Union rules so we've had the Environment Act which is really good news because we need to look after our environment and we've had the Agriculture Act which um, you know, is about how we continue growing food to make sure we do it in a way that's right and appropriate for our country. So we've had to become more independent in our legislation, but we've had lots of fluctuations due to those external factors that you mentioned. Challenging times, really, it is, to yep. know where it's all going. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's been very, very insightful and uh, quite inspiring as well, sp- uh, listening to you and speaking to you, uh, Dr. Nicola Cannon, uh, this morning as well. And hopefully, I'm, I'm sure that the listeners uh, benefited from uh, from our talk uh, as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a have a lovely day. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very interesting, isn't it? Um, speaking to us, we've well, got some good uh, information as well. Yeah, of course. Well. I just really wanted to know, like, um, because you know we're suffering with the food prices right now. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that the the farming industry has has suffered a lot as well, and uh, and from what I've been watching, so it's it's interesting to have that insight and to know, you know the ins and outs of what's going on and you know how how we can actually move forward with that with this regenerative um, agriculture as well. You know, it is it is uh, important. Uh, it's a good thing that you mentioned, uh, you, that you asked her about, about Brexit as well. Yeah. Um, because obviously, you know, a lot of a lot of the crop that, you know, we used to, we used to consume has actually been imported into the country as well. Yeah. Um, His Holiness, the, the worldwide head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, he once said um, um, to a group of people in, uh, in Holland, actually, he said that certainly in the UK, now that we are no longer members of the European Union, it would be, it would be, it would be um, a prudent for the British government to promote farming and agriculture. As for European Union members, if they remain united and continue to cooperate with one another, when it comes to, when it comes to food security, it will certainly be in their interests. Nonetheless, we must pray that the inevitable economic turmoil does not lead to warfare. God forbid if a nuclear weapon was, uh, was ever used, then no matter what, how much farming or agriculture was done, it would be in vain. Thus, we, are to, you know, we must look into the future and it is it's essential that we seek the mercy of Allah, the Almighty, as well. So that's you know quite powerful as well. It's, yeah, it's really eye-opening because I remember like reading about this as well. How hmm. if a nuclear bomb is dropped, let's say on the UK or wherever in the world, yeah, this is something which will not just 
immediately impact the people uh, living here today but also the future generations yeah not just because of the the radiation um within the, the people themselves and you know all the diseases that will be caused because of it yeah. but also the the soil itself will be uh be affected by this radiation that the the crop that that is yielded in the future will also um have that um carcinogenic um effect mm. as well so that could cause cancer as well so you can see that the, the crop and the soil all of that is affected not just the the animals and the and the humans um and any any living being right now so it's something which you need to think about because if we're farming as well we're going to have to think exactly about how we're going to tackle that how are we going to find ways of um producing food which is not harmful for for us um so uh, it's, it's it's really important what his holiness mm-hmm. has said and we need to think about the new methods and new ways of um tackling these issues absolutely absolutely and you know how you mentioned um uh, and I, I know it's a, I know it's a sort of, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a comedy program as well. Yeah. But uh, Clarkson's Farm. Yeah. And he mentions how, how you know the struggles, uh, and the pain that they have to go through as in the farmers as well. And it is, you know, one can only imagine, you know, taking care, taking care of a whole field, full of crops, and if they have to diversify as well, having, you know, having having animals over there, chicken, cattle, you know, whatever. And trying to make making sure that they're fed, making sure that they that they're healthy, making sure that they, you know, n- no disease actually comes on onto them as well, that they don't yeah. contract There's anything. So many factors. So I many. Mean, factors. Even the weather is a big factor. Weather, as well. so you, we can't even control that. Yeah, they need to. They need to always look at the forecast, and obviously with global warming, mm. whether you believe in it or not, it's happening yeah. because they, the farmers themselves, are saying they're having longest. Uh, uh, periods of sun and also longer periods of torrential rain, torrential as, well. rain as well, and Cold both of these yeah. extremes are the yeah. ones which are actually um, killing their killing off their their profit. Not just their profit, but also they're making big losses as well because of this, because they can't go out to and you know to to plow the f- the fields. They can't go out to to crop the, the all the, all the mm. whatever they're yielding there on their fields as well. At the same time, they have to think about where to put their their cattle, where what to do with them if any disease comes about. Literally, if one of them has um, a disease which can spread to the rest, they have yeah. to cull them all. They're all gone. And there's farmers who, you know, they, they invest thousands and thousands of pounds in in a herd of, let's say, sheep or in a herd of 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 uh, of, of, of cows. Hmm. And if one's gone, if one's got it, they're all gone. The, they the they have to kill them all off. That's the problem. And, you know, that, that, it doesn't matter whether they're about to have, uh, you know, their calves or not. Uh, the next generation of cows that they were they had so much hope for, it's all gone. And so they need help. They need support. Yeah. And you know, and Jeremy Clarkson himself was—he um, was trying to find a way to diversify and also help all the local farmers in his area. Yeah. The ones who he spoke to, he 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 realized that like, there's pig farmers, there's cow farmers, there's those who do wheat, there's those who do yeah. different kinds of vegetables and, yeah. and different crops. He said, as much as he needed the to open a restaurant to where he can where he can provide all those local product produce, he said they need it more than us mm. because they. Are struggling with the prices that are coming. You know, there's the same food which is coming from the EU and from other mm. places around the world. They are much cheaper. Mm. They don't know how they can make that. They can't make any they profit if they make, lower yeah. their prices as well. So they need an output. Otherwise, you know, they have things just stuck on their farms stuck and they have the no, farm, nowhere yeah. to get, yeah. nowhere yeah. to use them. I can imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, you know, one of the big issues he was mentioning is that uh, planning uh, permissions. Um, to get from, it from the, the council is such yeah, a big issue I can as well. Imagine that as well yeah. And despite them having good intentions and trying to do exactly what the government is saying of diversifying and to help the local community as well, um, bring the money back into the local community, 
Mm. They just don't get the permissions for it. It's very, very difficult mm. for them to do so. So, I mean, there's challenges everywhere on the world. I mean, the, the struggle is a real, it's a real struggle, isn't it? It's a real struggle that they that they're actually going through as well. Um, and you know, this, you know, His Holiness, as I mentioned, he, well, you know, he gave some advice to to a group of people from Holland there as well. Yeah, he is actually, you know, he studies uh, agriculture, agriculture as well, as well, isn't it, at, at university. So he is actually, you know, he's actually has a keen interest in uh, in this or something, you know, which is, uh, you know, just for the benefit of our listeners as well. Um, His Holiness, the you know, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well. Um, let's listen to uh, a brief audio clip, uh, which actually speaks a little bit, uh, a little bit more uh, about this uh, about this particular topic. My question is, how did you choose the field of agriculture? And what motivated you to become a work for Zindagi? Oh, very difficult question. What are you doing? Um, in my, uh, I just finished my third year of college, university. What are you studying? I'm majoring in biology to become a dentist, inshallah. It's a dentist, inshallah, mashallah. You see, from the very childhood, I had a keen interest in agriculture. So I wanted to go into the field of agriculture, but unfortunately I could not. But later on, after graduating with economics, and my father also asked me that if possible, you can go to agriculture university. And uh, one thing is simply that there, I had better opportunity to get admission. than any other industry. This was the simplest way and because of my interest as well. So I got admission in uh, agricultural economics or in the field of cooperation and credit. So there you have to deal with farmers and all these things. So there are some courses with regards to practical agriculture, that is agronomy and arable farming. And uh, if you are outsider or you join the university after graduation, then you have to complete some deficiency courses. Since I knew agriculture and I had a keen interest from the very beginning, I used to go with my father to our family farm. So I did those deficiency courses with good results. And I later on completed my degree in the cooperation and credit as well. That was the, the main thing which uh, caused me to go to the agriculture university and do agriculture. And that was actually His Holiness, uh, the, uh, the, the, the worldwide head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, telling us um, you know, a little bit more about how he... How he has a keen interest in agriculture as well, and he attained a university, went to university, and got a degree in uh, in this particular field as well, which is actually quite, quite, uh, quite interesting as well. Uh, a lot of people don't know, uh, don't actually know about that as well. Um, talking about uh, agriculture, because it's such a it's such a vast topic as well, and uh, it's something which is quite it's it's a hands-on sort of uh, profession, isn't it? Yeah, it's a hands-on profession: farming, going out there. Taking care of the crops, taking care of the harvest, obviously you know the crops that you that you grow as well, um, and there's so many different factors which uh, which you know which we spoke about as well. Now we spoke to our guest, Dr. Nicola, uh, Dr. Nicola, 
uh, as well. And she was telling us how you know how the farmers have to go through uh, you know a lot of different processes as well, and that whole process may take quite a long time. But obviously, there's different challenges which they have to which they have to face as well. It is a, it is a real struggle. It is a real struggle, isn't it? Um, of course. Uh, you know, when it comes to when it comes to you know the teachings of the you know of the of the Holy Quran, or, or you know of uh, of Islam as well, Islam actually promotes uh, all of us to actually go out there and uh, make a make a living for ourselves as well. Not just you know if you you know there was you know there was a person who actually came to the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and he sort of he didn't really have anything. As the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he told him you know don't don't rely on other people don't you know sort of beg for for a living it's better for you to actually go out there go to the woods carry a you know get some chop off some uh, you know you know get some wood or some uh, make his own living make, make, way, make yeah. your own living you know go out there and sell it and you know yeah have you know in, in that way you would have your own dignity uh, uh, as well and you'll be able to stand up on your own feet doesn't matter it might be a bit less but you know gradually uh, steadily, you will actually, you know, increase on that as well. So, what I'm, the, the reason why I'm saying this is that because it's such a hands-on um, profession, you know, farming, uh, agriculture as well, um, it is quite honourable as well. It is quite honourable because you put that effort into it, isn't it? You I think put we, the elbow grease into it. I think it. we forget, um, you know, the the level of respect and mm. and appreciation that, that we should appreciation, have for, appreciation. for farmers and for the work that they do, just to get food on our table. Um, you know, if, if anything goes wrong on their side, then mm. it affects big time. What big time? What, yeah. what we what we're able to even eat. We, you know, living in a in a first world country is it's something which um, we maybe take for granted. Having all mm. this different variety of food available to us, it's when we go to a, another country where, which you know which is struggling in terms yeah. of yeah. Um, having a diversity and you know variations and all these different kind of things available to them mm. that you realize actually, you know what. I've I've got so much where I live, and that's true. Even if, even the small things in life that you would just take for granted, you start to realize and appreciate what you have, and um, that's something which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, did say as well once that you should also always look to the people who have less than you, uh, rather than those who have more than you. That in that way you'll be more grateful, more grateful. And you won't be you won't be like uh, greedy and you know envious of things that other people have. You'll be more thankful to you to be more thankful exactly. Well. Yeah. So that you know, that's uh, you know very well uh, put there as well. Nuruddin, thank you so much uh, for actually uh, for, for coming here and uh, presenting with uh, myself as well. It's it an and, honor. And of course, uh, to of course our our producers and our researchers as well, all of our guests who took time out and uh, spoke to us today, and the technical department uh, uh, as well. And thank you to them. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.